This is episode 32 with James Bell, Vice President of Economic Development, Entrepreneurship and Innovation at the Greater Bentonville Area Chamber of Commerce. Welcome everyone to The Multiplier Effect, an Endeavor NWA podcast. A lot of cities are unique. We would characterize Bentonville as not unique, but exceptional, as is the entire Northwest Arkansas community. Ultimately, they boil down to building, attracting, growing sustainable enterprises. We also want leadership for those companies to be part of the growing community to give back and help build and grow it as well. Welcome back to another episode of The Multiplier Effect. I am so excited to be sharing this interview with you today as I recently sat down with James Bell, who is the Vice President of Economic Development, Entrepreneurship, and Innovation at the Greater Bentonville Area Chamber of Commerce. He joined the team in November of this past year and is an executive leader with more than 25 years of business experience in a variety of corporate and nonprofit environments. And in this episode, he discusses the strategic and tactical approaches Northwest Arkansas has taken to grow the entrepreneurial ecosystem through industry recruitment and how we can support small businesses and startups as they scale. His passion for economic development is evident and we're privileged to have him move back to Arkansas to help build Bentonville's storied success. Let's dive in. James, we are honored to have you on the show with us today. We trust that you and your family, friends, everyone is safe and doing well. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. You know, I'm honored to be here and it's an interesting time we live in. So far, my family has been safe from a COVID perspective. We've had a couple of close calls beyond my immediate family, but everything's worked out okay. Everybody's healthy. But I'll say I do have a friend who lost the battle to COVID. And so if you don't mind, I want to say to the listeners out there, please get vaccinated, mask up, socially distance, and do it because you care about yourself and others. And, you know, also to the greatest extent, safely live your lives. It's a challenging time, but it's one where we need to stand together and overcome what is a surmountable foe in situation. And if we take politics out of it and stand together as Americans and as citizens of humanity, we'll get through it. We'll be stronger and more resilient on the other side. I could not agree more. And I appreciate you saying that. We certainly at Endeavor have been forcing that as well and and encouraging that among our community and are so thankful for so many in our community who are doing the good work of keeping everyone safe. So thanks for saying that. And of course, the Greater Bentonville Area Chamber of Commerce is a cornerstone partner in the mission of expanding and supporting the entrepreneurial ecosystem of our region, especially through the economic development initiatives your team supports. And we're fortunate to have Ashley Wardlow join us for episode 29 to share about the Northwest Arkansas Technology Summit, which for those of you who are listening who haven't tuned into that episode, please check it out. She shares a few sneak peeks into what what attendees can anticipate for this year's summit and her five to 10 year vision for the conference, which was really exciting to hear about. But today we are privileged to talk to you, James, more broadly about what you envision for our economic growth in the city of Bentonville and the Northwest Arkansas region. And so to kick things off, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, give us some context around the work that the chamber does every day and what inspired you to join their team to support the economic development initiatives. Yeah, thanks for asking, Jess. Well, I'll say I definitely did not take a traditional path to uh, chamber work or economic <laughs> development. So I'll try to narrow this down into digestible chunks because I uh, have had sort of a, a winding history, but I'll start at growing up in Arkansas because I started here and now I'm back. But I grew up here in Arkansas. I grew up in central Arkansas. And really, it was within rather modest means. We weren't wealthy. We weren't super poor, but I'll say we did enjoy the taste of government cheese from time to time. And that's about the time when I started learning about entrepreneurship and just 
just didn't know it. My dad was laid off from his factory job when I was young. So he started working for an industrial lawn maintenance company and he eventually spun that out in his own business. And he was focused on residences and apartments and smaller commercial properties. But I'll say it is entirely accurate to say that I've had a full-time job since I was eight years old. Uh, my wow. dad figured out, yeah, <laughs> he figured out I could rake leaves, dig holes, carry sod, and he put me to work. And uh, eventually uh, he gave me my own crew of folks to work with, right? When I was the age of 14 or 15. So imagine a crew of mostly uh, college athletes and misfits. It, they fell into two groups really, and they had to drive their supervisor around. Uh, <laughs> I was That's not amazing. a popular supervisor. <laughs> I learned very quickly on the job, the difference between leadership and management. Um, and I learned that when my smart mouth got me in trouble and one of my employees took me, literally took me to the woodshed. <laughs> so oh no. <laughs> I, I could spend days talking about, talking about what I learned in that. But I'll say also, I spent 10 years combined in the Navy Reserve and Army National Guard. Uh, I was very fortunate that Navy paid for my first undergrad degree, which was from the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences. You know, my family, like I said, came from modest means and we have four college degrees between the kids and I have three of them. So I feel really fortunate, but you know, I've lived all over the country, left Arkansas when I was 21, went to New Orleans, Nashville, Chicago, Denver, and finally Memphis where I landed for 19 years instead of what I'll say I planned is fewer than five. And then just in the last few years, got married in 2019, middle of the year. We had a baby in the height of the pandemic lockdown in the middle of last year. And we made the decision that we were coming to Northwest Arkansas to put down our roots. And so at that point, it was not if we were going to do it, it was when or what circumstances. And I needed to find out where I can make a real difference helping build the region in some way. And as it turns out, that ended up landing me at the Greater Bentonville Area Chamber of Commerce in the role of uh, Vice President of Economic Development. And so I'll say really quickly, if I may, that my professional career can be broken down into five segments. First, start off servicing medical equipment, managing service engineers, cross-divisional leadership, mostly in a fast-growing medical device company. The second segment was medical device sales, management in the same company. And at that time we grew, and this was a same company, by the way, and it, and it grew up to be part of the Global 200. And then that's where I went off the rails. <laughs> I'll say off the rails in a good way. Uh, I had a soul searching period where I sold IT, went to Army Officer Candidate School, pursued pre-med because I was tired of selling to doctors and wanted to become one. Obviously, I don't have an MD at the end of my name. Uh, <laughs> I learned biology, chemistry, physics, and the such are very interesting subjects, and I don't care at all about the infinite details. So that's when I switched, switched and uh, got my MBA. And that was sort of the turning period of part four, which I'll call an intense period of building medical device startups, running medical device and supply chain logistics accelerators, getting involved with uh, recruiting companies, a lot of them really young companies, helping entrepreneurs, helping entrepreneurial support organizations, universities, investors, and sometimes opportunities to do that around the world. And I got really deeply involved in the uh, Memphis startup scene. And at that time also started teaching as an adjunct in an MBA program and then started teaching at that particular university, Christian Brothers University in Memphis, their first undergrad entrepreneurship classes. And so now I'm in the fifth chapter. <laughs> and that's what brings me here. It really evolved over the past few months with the planning, or I should say planting, right, of my family firmly here in Bentonville, where I have this amazing opportunity to stand on the shoulders of those that have blazed the path before me, right? This is a, a really exceptional community. And 
And uh, here I have the pleasure of working with a super non-traditional chamber and that under what I'll call the visionary leadership of Graham Cobb, who recruited me into this role and with truly a top-notch team that's focused on job creation, creating community experiences and meaningful change in our community for all. And most specifically for me, and this means I get to recruit global businesses, get to recruit the uh, workers that power them, remote workers and entrepreneurs, all in an order to fuel Bentonville's 21st century economy. Well, we're thrilled to have you as part of the Bentonville community. You have such an incredibly unique background. I did not know half of what you just shared. So that's really exciting for me to kind of learn a little bit more about you too. And I will say, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The chamber is certainly unconventional in many capacities, which lends itself to being very creative and super supportive of all of these different communities we serve. And so something that we always say at Endeavor is, you know, we believe that transformational entrepreneurship can happen anywhere with the access to the right support systems. And certainly your team at the chamber is working to really provide those resources in a comprehensive and unique way. So talk to us about the core themes of economic development you and your team focus on. You've kind of spoken a little bit to that and then how they enable a thriving ecosystem for entrepreneurs specifically to succeed. Yeah, you bet. So there are many, many things that have to happen for sustainable economic development, but you know, ultimately they boil down to building, attracting and growing sustainable enterprises, ones with good paying jobs. And I'll add in our community that we also want leadership of those companies to be part of the growing community to give back and help build and grow it as well. Most of my work is focused on recruiting companies that can scale and grow, certainly in certain sectors. I might speak on that in a moment, but some that are obvious and others that really aren't. And then the other part is really creating, recruiting, and developing a 21st century workforce so that we can power these companies. It means we have to educate students accordingly. And that starts all the way back in elementary school, maybe even kindergarten, teaching them how to constantly learn and innovate because we now live in this rapidly changing world and we need to help them become, I'll say, constant critical learners who are prepared to take on jobs that we haven't even thought of yet. You know, I mentioned recruiting. We have to attract more STEM workers or even STEAM workers, right? That's science, technology, engineering, arts, and math workers. And, you know, this is an amazing place for remote workers too. We have to recruit more of them. And so let me give mad props at this point to our friends at the Northwest Arkansas Council and their initiative in recruiting both of these groups of workers by offering $10,000 in a mountain bike. And, you know, you can get money from several cities that effectively pays for your move, the $10,000, but what they don't offer is a mountain bike. And I think that says everything about our area, right? Um, The other thing that we must do in economic development is make sure that we are offering opportunities for everybody and making sure we remain an affordable place to live because every economy has to have service workers. They can't afford to live in the community or don't have great transportation to get around, then economic growth will be stifled. It's going to at least be significantly throttled. And to that end, I will say that as important as recruiting companies for me is also uh, that it's equally important that we have equitable, affordable housing and transportation. And finally, to get to your ask about entrepreneurs in particular. So we absolutely must support entrepreneurs. I mean, we've recruited or our community members have stood up at numerous startup and business support organizations have been stood up the past few years, but that work's not over. I would say that in many ways, those are the seeds. We're just beginning. We still have support gaps to fill in the ecosystem, both in our current areas of strength and ones that are coming. And we really have to build our ecosystem from end to end because, you know, what I've seen happen in a lot of places 
churches across the country and even around the world is that ecosystems get really highly focused on the most nascent businesses and then they forget that they have to scale, right? They they send them through accelerators and magically drop them off at day 100 like they know everything they need to know to run their business. But the truth is businesses happen in stages. And if you don't, you know, if we're going to recruit companies here, there's no point in recruiting them if we're going to lose them because we can't support them after they land. We have programs like WeWork Labs, Startup Junkie, Plug and Play, who, you know, have it help navigate starting and scaling and endeavor to, especially with scaling. Thank you because the work all of you do is amazing. There's other support organizations, I'll say, who can help with particular parts of your business. Take, for example, the local branch of ASBTDC. And then one of those folks forget about sometimes, which is the World Trade Center next door to Rogers and help businesses access global markets. And the list goes on and on, but there are holes to fill and I intend to find organizations that are here or aren't here to provide programs and resources to fill them. So I see that as much as part of my role as well. You know, you're, you've obviously spoken a little bit to some of the entrepreneurial support organizations and programs that are available, the importance of scaling, the importance of providing those types of services to help facilitate growth for those startups and founders that are looking to either move here or might already be here. But what kind of businesses is your team planning to recruit over the next few years? I'm interested. I saw some exciting news that maybe you'll be able to talk to that actually was just released today. So um. you bet. I love that. Yeah. Some of these are going to be obvious and some aren't, but I looked at, at this in really three buckets. What industry verticals are our strengths right now? What's adjacent to that? And where else should we be? You know, if this were a hockey game, I'd tell you we're both playing the puck and playing where the puck will be because economic development is not just a short-term view and it's not just a long-term view. You have to have a nice blend of those two and the intermediate view. There's a lot going on to uh, really do it well. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of places that focus just on one or the other, and that just doesn't work for a sustainable ecosystem. And so I was saying, I don't think you're going to find us begging a giant company to pick up the move here, right? But I wouldn't consider it crazy <laughs> to recruit, say, a Google retail tech innovation hub. Don't think that that conversation is happening because I said that. That's absolutely not a conversation that, that's going on, but I'd like to, I guess. And so you might ask, why not, right? Why not get those folks to plan an innovation hub? I mean, if you think about it, Bentonville is the headquarters for Fortune One Walmart. It's home to offices for 1,400 Walmart vendors. There's two other Fortune 500s that are our neighbors. 400 of the Fortune 500 have a presence here. And while those aren't the headquarters of those companies, most of those teams are the most important teams for their businesses because some of their biggest customers, if not their biggest customers are right here. So why shouldn't companies interested in retail tech, big data, AI, and the such associated with that have some sort of presence here, whether that's an innovation hub or otherwise. So with that said, here's who we're recruiting. You know, like every good economic development group, we're constantly surveilling the landscape. We're looking for those companies where we can land, you know, 100, 200, 400 jobs at a time. But I'd say, let's be real. In those cases, we're competing with anybody and everybody. Those companies likely want significant incentives. There's going to be a fight to the bottom many times, and they tend to be less loyal about where they relocate. And at many times, they don't give back or help grow the community. And so just because they're out there doesn't mean we will necessarily pursue them, but they're there are some that many that we will. Instead, the ones where I'd rather spend my time is focusing on the companies that I'll say uh, have the potential to scale fast and where their leaders want to lean into the community and where they want to give back and ex 
extend their network to ours and us likewise to them. You know, folks who really want to help continue building this amazing place where we can live, work, and play and thrive. In a sense, we want to extend our family because it has a multiplier effect, right? It makes my job a lot easier because basically that means it creates an army of folks out there looking for their friends and like companies uh, to come here. Over the past few years, we've established locations of organizations that help build companies from the ground up as we continue to support and plug holes to do more of that type of work. My primary role has become focused on recruiting companies that are starting to scale. So I'm looking for firms with say a million dollars maybe less of annual recurring revenue to, so say a million to 20 million uh, companies that may be seeking investments of 10, 100, 200, $400 million. And I'm looking to recruit those companies. Uh, and the reason is that these are the companies that have the ability to say 10X their workforce in very short order. And as an example, sorry, you did see in the news today that you just mentioned, there's a San Francisco based FinTech Loan Pal that is planning an office in Bentonville, and they expect that office to quickly grow to 100 new jobs. And these are good paying jobs. And then, by the way, one byproduct of companies scaling at that rate is I've noticed they tend to spin out entrepreneurs who start yet more ventures. And these are experienced entrepreneurs. They have a greater chance of, of being successful, right? And so when they exit, also, they then put capital back into the community to invest in others or to go on to work on their next big thing. And so turning back more specifically to recruiting uh, in the obvious bucket. Uh, there's retail tech, supply chain, logistics, companies supporting that vertical. Uh, some other areas are arts, culinary, culture, aviation, and especially in say private and sports aviation. And then perhaps, you know, some areas of things like ag tech. So my two big focus areas right now are outdoor recreation and health tech. You know, many listeners will know and some won't know that Bentonville, Arkansas is the mountain biking capital of the world. Uh, from Bentonville, downtown, you can access 150 miles of really an unrivaled regional trail network, part of the broader Oz trail network, which represents hundreds of miles of, of really world-class mountain biking trails. And we're not the only ones to say that. I, I literally sat here in this chair <laughs> earlier today uh, talking with an entrepreneur uh, who's visiting here from Colorado who stated himself that these trails are on par with ones that you'll find in Colorado, Oregon, and elsewhere. And he said he's just completely blown away. And, you know, so obviously we're looking at companies that make biking gear and apparel, among others. And we, we even landed some bike companies in the last few weeks that you may have seen in the news. We have more coming, but outdoor recreation doesn't stop there. You know, outside of say snow skiing and surfing, anything you want to do is available to, to you within, you know, minutes of, of Bentonville. And so we're interested in that entire industry. And if you have the most revolutionary mountain bike ever, great. We want to talk with you, right? If, if you have revolutionary fly fishing thingamajig. Yeah, we can talk. But also, I don't want to forget there's other businesses. If you have the best darn guide service and you name it, and that one's not here, and I keep hearing from folks that needs to be here, I'm going to go find it. But to take it one step further, outdoor gear is getting better and better. It's opening up opportunities for participation regardless of your age or your capabilities, or even if you're an athlete. And so it's, an creating, it's really creating an entirely new set of problems to solve. Uh, right now in Bentonville, you can go out to Thaden Field, which is our local municipal airport, miles from the Northwest Arkansas National Airport. 
and you can rent a helicopter pilot to take you out into the Ozark National Forest and drop you off with your mountain bike and you can go ride around for the day and have that uh, pilot come pick you up later. So new gear and capabilities are pushing less and less abled folks into deeper, more remote places. If you think about it, those businesses that solve that problem are also going to be interesting to a whole host of other players around the world, giant players like even the military, right? Um, and so I mentioned health tech, uh, turning to that, you know, mentioned it as one of my current top two. And you may ask why there? And I'll say lots of places are diving into health tech, so we have to really find our blue ocean and put our spin on it. And Walmart has plans to open thousands of clinics across the country. Uh, they're, they've already launched uh, several, as you might guess, they're highly efficient, but they're also chock full of technologies that make them work that I haven't seen in other health clinics. And 90% of Americans live within 10 miles of a Walmart. So here's Walmart and they have the potential to deliver quality care and health services, including things like dental and dietary at a fraction of the cost that we have today. And yet their doctors and clinicians are still going to be paid handsomely. They really have a chance to change the way uh, primary care is delivered. On top of that, Alice Walton has launched the Whole Health Institute and a medical library. And you know the Whole Health Institute is really focused on transforming health and well-being with the goal of making good health and well-being available to every person everywhere. And they have several focuses, but at the end of the day, they want to bring the whole health model to entire communities of people, to every person on the planet. And our healthcare news doesn't stop there. 80% of people are pretty much perfectly healthy. The other 20% use up 80 to 90% of all healthcare resources, whether that's money or, or time in the system or hospital beds. And those sickest 20% are being sent to specialists who are very expensive. Now, specialists aren't going to go away. And I want to walk carefully when I say this, but what if some of the diagnoses diagnosis and treatment options at their level were available instead of the primary care level in a less complex way? And what if some of the diagnosis and therapeutic options available at the primary care level were available at home? You know, that would really change healthcare as we know it. Cost and complexity would both significantly decrease. Healthcare would become more accessible. It would become more equitable. And while health tech in general is important to me, I'm really going to lean in those, into those businesses that are working within that framework to lower the cost of healthcare by placing less complex diagnostic tools and therapies in the hands of those you know, who can deliver them at the lowest hierarchy of healthcare delivery and make healthcare more equitable, affordable, and such to everybody everywhere. And that's quality healthcare. And in Bentonville, with what we have happening now and what's coming, we are going to be uniquely positioned to tackle that challenge in a way perhaps nobody else can. You said so many things that I absolutely love and I'm so excited about. I mean, as you know, we're obviously seeing these trends and these exciting opportunities at Endeavor, more specifically within the outdoor space, as you spoke to. You know, we we spoke to our board member, Cleet Brewer, who is a managing partner over at New Road Capital Ventures. And of course, that is what he speaks to as opportunity 
opportunities that they're looking at, certainly they're investing in those spaces. And so that's more opportunity for companies to move here and potentially get local investments from a VC perspective. And then also on the health tech front, can't say enough about what now Diagnostics is doing, who is an Endeavor entrepreneur and their opportunity to engage with affordable testing that you're speaking to. It's all very, very exciting stuff. And so something that you had already also touched on that I wanted to kind of circle back to is something that you speak to on the chamber site. You guys call it the widescreen living. I love that. Uh, you know, it's this 360 degree human experience, uh, incorporating arts and culture, the outdoors, culinary excellence, and the power of human relationships into people's everyday lives. How are you seeing this narrative evolve in our community? Like I said, you've spoke to this some, but. You know, this is one of the aspects that attracted my family to Northwest Arkansas and Bentonville. The accessibility of arts, culture, outdoors, music, and I'll just say just good, clean living alongside all the amenities of a big city is in my mind unrivaled. I've traveled to nearly every major American city and to many places in between and to some pretty remote areas. I've also traveled to a few places around the world, not as many as I'd like, but I can't think of a single place like Bentonville. A lot of cities are unique and I would characterize Bentonville as not unique, but exceptional as is the entire Northwest Arkansas community. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, I took my wife and her parents and my son to the Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. And you know what it cost us? Nothing. You know, if we went to the New York Museum of Art, that would have set us back $100. The San Francisco Museum of Modern Art would have set us back $100. And if you're wondering, yes, I did look up the prices because I was really curious. And on top of that, we would have had to spend heaven knows what else getting there, whether through public transportation, Uber, or heaven forbid, you know, a private vehicle and the cost of parking. And then there's the cost of our time. And we would have had to plan a day to do it, plan the trip, because it was just an expensive, big undertaking. We decided one Sunday afternoon about one o'clock to go to Crystal Bridges. We booked tickets for three and we left our house at 2.45 and we got there before three. And we visited the museum and we made the short drive home afterwards. And I don't think you can get that anywhere else. And certainly not at that level. And I'll say that, you know, some people who may not be familiar with Crystal Bridges in our area may be skeptical and that's okay. I'd say come down and check it out. Millions of people have visited Crystal Bridges from around the globe. And if you want an idea of how important this place has become or the scale of exhibits that they picked up, one of the very first exhibits when you walk in the first gallery is a pretty famous painting by a little fellow named Norman Rockwell, right? It's Norman Rockwell's famous Rosie the Riveter painting. And it's not alone. The museum owns it. So, you know, if you look at public articles, they cite more than a billion dollars donated to museum before it ever opened. And I'll just say, this is just another example of what the Walton family has done for this community. And so, you know, with that example, I'll take a brief moment to give you an idea of what widescreen living looks like. You can get up, bike to work, take a paved trail, take a, a mountain biking trail if you want. You can hop back on your bike to catch a meeting during the day. You can go to the coffee shop, that meeting, or maybe you can take it out on the trail. You can bike over and grab a lunch at one of our eclectic cafes downtown. And when you're done for the day, maybe you can go shred some trails. Bikes aren't your thing? Take a walk. Visit the farmer's market. Check out Crystal Bridges. Or you can just run home a moment and see your kids, which you can't do in most places. I'll say that the list is absolutely endless. You pick it and you can probably do it. And it doesn't stop there. We have amazing public schools. Some ranked as the best in the nation or some of the best in the nation. There's no need to send your kids to private schools. Public schools are fantastic. Think of that as thousands of dollars saved. I'm looking forward to that. And there are so many incredible free things to do like 
crystal bridges, others that don't cost much. We have access to the Ozark National Forest and most any activity you can imagine, um, whether it's in a big city or, or outdoors, and it's all a few minutes from anywhere. And that to me is the very definition of widescreen living, and it's only going to get better. I get to be part of that by, you know, focusing on really recruitment of a robust outdoor industry and more, and that's exciting. You know, I've lived here for about a year and a half, and there is just so much accessibility in our region for all different kinds of activities and in community engagements, which is just really something that you cannot find in most other places, I've decided. Let's take a pivot here and talk about gaps. You know, there's so many organizations and initiatives that help to support the economic development of our region. But what resources are we missing? You probably have a very specific window into some of those things. Absolutely. I can think of a few. You know, I've traveled around a lot of places and everybody has gaps. And I would say that ours, like many of the folks in the flyover country, starts at talent. Now, having said that, I would say we have some of the top talent in the nation. And it's because we've got these wonderful Fortune 500 companies here, including Walmart, who recruit top talent. Uh, to work here. So our area is chock full of high performers. And what we need is even more because we're growing so fast and our businesses are growing so fast. This might sound a little strange for a moment, but I think we need more co-working space. We have WeWork Labs. We have a co-working space with Plug and Play. We have some others, and yet we need more. And as we grow, we're going to need more. The thing you might be surprised to hear me talk about, well, that I mentioned earlier, is affordable housing. We need more of that. We are not expensive by any stretch of the imagination if you're coming from from the coast or most places or large cities around the country. I think folks will find that our housing prices are substantially cheaper, but we need to stay ahead of that curve. And to tie those last two together, if you start thinking about entrepreneurs, Bentonville scored a mammoth win the other day. Common, which is a co-living provider, they announced a competition some months ago for their first ever remote working hubs, and they were going to build those in five cities. And those are going to be developed alongside the local communities and partners there. And so they've named those. And the winners are New Orleans, Ogden, Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, Rochester, New York. And as you might guess, since I'm bringing it up, Bentonville, Arkansas. And so I'm going to give props to our prolific local developer, Blue Crane, for scoring that one. They're the ones who submitted the application. And I'm just mad excited about that. One other question for you before we dive into some Endeavor segments. You know, as part of season two, we've been talking a lot about the disparity founders. Um, Hispanic residents over the age of 25 are 13% of the population, yet they only own 2% of the region's small businesses. And then similarly, Black residents represent 0.5% of the region's ownership, though they're 2% of the population. So, you know, obviously, if not addressed, this trend of demographic inequalities and access to entrepreneurial resources will hamper efforts to realize Arkansas's full potential for innovation, development, and job creation. How do we increase efforts to develop a strong and diverse entrepreneurial ecosystem in Northwest Arkansas? And what is the Chamber doing to reinforce addressing these opportunities? I know a little bit about what you guys are doing, but I know our audience would be interested. Great question. Well, you didn't promise me easy questions, and this one is challenging for sure. And I'll say, look, I'd be lying if I said I had a fully suitable answer. But I can share observations from what I've learned in my professional and uh, personal life. My perspectives are shaped by experiences growing up in Southwest Little Rock, by 10 years of service in two military branches. And if you want the ultimate level of, of really integration in the 
first American institution to do it, look at the military. And they're also shaped by experiences, you know, where I've lived as an adult, especially in New Orleans, early 90s, and in Memphis for the past uh, 19 years we're here. First, it's important to note, you know, despite my background and despite pulling myself up from the bootstraps, I'm sure to have lived a certain amount of privilege, even more so as I've progressed through life for sure. It's not at all lost on me that my experiences are very different from those of minorities. And we all walk in different shoes, but I think here the differences of culture and experiences are quite significant. And that's something that we all have to realize. Second, as I said, I don't have the answers to this question. Uh, those answers, as a good entrepreneur would say, are not close to me, but somewhere out there. <laughs> They're out there in the Hispanic, Black, and Marshallese communities. I can't speak for anybody in those communities. So with that, I would say the third part is we have to meet people where they are. We can't expect that creating programs and resources in a bubble works, that throwing them over the transom is going to get anything but uh, a lack of connectivity to any of these communities and drive even more uh, disenfranchisement. We have to, I'll say deliberately, make our way into their networks and pull them into ours. And we have to be human. We just have to establish human connections and care about other people and let them know this and build relationships. And what we can't do is assume that communities we aren't really connected with are just going to come to us. I mean, why would they? Who's sitting around thinking about us, right? Everybody else, just like in every aspect of life with every person, people are busy living their lives. They're trying to make their own way in the world. And here we are imagining sometimes that entirely different groups of people are going to come join us magically. So finally, I'll say, let's not assume programs we have today are even good enough for these communities, nor that we should be delivering them or be the face of those programs um, in particular. You know, if a young Hispanic girl sees an old white man trying to teach her, I mean, how familiar is that to her? You know, how likely is she to even cross the chasm and have a real discussion? How shared are their experiences? It's not that people can't hear each other. The real issue is that there are barriers in culture and experiences that are just different that simply create walls that aren't impossible to breach, but they're difficult to breach. Part of that answer then could be, or should be, that we should be finding leaders of these communities. We should be reaching out to them actively. We should be pulling them into our networks. We should be standing them up with resources and support that they need. And when I say that, they tell us they need, not that we think they need. And first and foremost, these leaders must be the ones out front. And goodness gracious, we must not take the lead on announcing what wonderful things we have done. We should just do it, and that should be it. And if we do that and we're honest in the way we approach it, it will not be lost on the leaders uh, of these communities. A way that the uh, chamber can do it and get ready for two shameless plugs is we need to stand these leaders up. We need to make sure ourselves that we're recognizing that there are these gaps between communities and pulling people into our communities. We need to stand folks up at the Northwest Arkansas Business Women's Conference. We need to stand folks 
folks up, the, up at the Northwest Arkansas uh, Tech Summit. Voices need to be heard. We have also have a couple of members of our team uh, participating in one of the DEI programs that's going on in the community right now. And there's just so much more to be done. Really, this is the starting point. I love everything that you just shared. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Okay, so now to transition into some Endeavor segments, we want to highlight our sponsor for the season, Northwest Arkansas Council. They aim to ensure our region's successful future by working with partners to advance our quality of life, improve the region's workforce, create job opportunities, and keep up with the region's impressive growth. I don't have to tell you any of this because you already know, as you've already shared, your perspective and insights into their amazing organization. But there are so many things to love about the Heartland. So we're asking each guest on our show, what do you love most about living in the Heartland? Number one, personally and selfishly, I get to come back home. And I'll I'll tell you, when I left at the age of 21, I I didn't think I'd ever return to Arkansas. Over the years, Arkansas's number one export has been its talent. Today, our number one export, thankfully, is aerospace. Did you know that? Most people don't know it's aerospace. And I say uh, talent's not our number one export anymore because Arkansas just showed up for, I think, the first time on the list net inflow of population. Top 10 state. How amazing is that? I, I really can't at this point name any one single thing because it's just so amazing. I love it. That's awesome. Okay. And for our next segment, the founder of Endeavor, uh, Linda Rotenberg, has always said, call me crazy. Crazy is a compliment. So we like to ask each guest on our show, what has been your call me crazy? moment. Oh my goodness. My crazy moment was I got tired during my medical device sales days. It was really a, an inflection point for me. I, did, I didn't realize that I was just tired of really giant companies and, and the inability to do anything significant in them. I mean, you could be the number one sales rep in the company and if you disappeared, made no difference. And so I've gotten involved in a lot of enterprises since then where if you can be the lowest ranked person in the company and if you did something, it can just destroy the whole company or make the company amazing. And so I like to be places where I can make an impact. For some reason, I got tired of selling to doctors and decided to become one. As I mentioned earlier, well, I don't have an MD after my name, but I'll tell you what else I also did during that time. After a 13-year absence from the military, I joined the Army National Guard and joined on an officer candidate contract and went to Army Officer Candidate School. And I'll say that the program's 17 months long. We started with 65. At month 16, we had 10. And in month 17, seven graduated, and I was not one of them. Oh, no. (laughs) And and normally they could say, well, we can send you back to phase two of the program, which would have set me back a year. And for some reason, I think I would have done it, except that there was one small problem. I had two age waivers to get to that point, and they couldn't waiver this one. I had to be commissioned before my my, uh, 41st birthday. So now you're picturing how old I was when I did this. And I was going to come up a month too old so they couldn't recycle me oh. glad it didn't work out <laughs> looking back so so yeah my crazy moment was army national guard ocs and pre-med all at the same time that is certainly a crazy moment but we celebrate those here absolutely learning experiences to be had with crazy moments and lastly something quick and digestible for our guests we have a few rapid fire questions what time do you wake up and what is bedtime yeah wake up's usually 6 a.m sometimes it hits news a few times and cheat to 6 
6.30. Bedtime for me is midnight. I guess that's just the way I'm wired. I hope it always stays that way because there's so much to do that I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. I, I definitely need my sleep. Unfortunately, I'm a night owl, which I, our guests already know, and sometimes that gets me into trouble. So sure. what are you reading right now? A lot of books with nursery rhymes. <laughs> I, have a six, I have an eight-month-old son at home. You know, anything with Hickory Dickory Dock or Mary Had a Little Lamb seems to be the crowd favorite right now. Uh, we're also reading Hedgehogs a lot. Uh, that's a great picture book. <laughs> Outside of that, I used to read several books at a time. And so my current reading list includes, um, I think, three books. The first one is I'm uh, starting to work my way through creating Startup Junkies by a couple of local favorites. So that, yeah, I give a shout out there to my two friends and colleagues, Jeff Amarine and Dr. Jeff Standridge. In the same vein, uh, my current stack includes a book that's by famed venture capitalist Brad Feld, The uh, Startup Community Way. And then one that I'm almost embarrassed to say that I'm reading for the first time. That's the autobiography of Sam Walton. Made in America. Well, I love all three of those books. Great recommendations for our audience, for sure. What is one new habit that you've developed in a post-quarantine world? Uh, going to bed on a more regular schedule. You know, for a number of years, I got to bed uh, whenever I got there. It wasn't unusual for me to get to bed at two or three o'clock in the morning and get up, try to get up at six and really get up at seven. And while that's almost enough sleep for me, I'll say that inconsistency was taking its toll. And for the fathers out there who are wondering how I'm pulling off all this sleep with an infant in the house, I found the cheat code. No, the cheat code <laughs> is my wife's parents have basically moved around wherever the new baby is in the family, and it's our turn. <laughs> Oh, congratulations. Absolutely. I feel like I have won the lottery. So I feel really blessed to have Hadia's parents here. I'll say they're God sent. I have no idea how people raise infants without help. And while I'm at it, I'll say I have no idea how single mothers do it. I'm with you there. I mean, I, I'm continuously impressed by all the people that I work with on a daily basis with children. I do not have children, but commend all parents, especially during this time period where the kiddos are definitely home, probably more than normal. <laughs> right. And is there anything that I should have asked you but didn't? You know, the only thing I can think of is because we've talked about, I don't think we've directly said quality of life as a phrase uh, yet, but we've talked about an awful lot of things around quality of life. And a tough interview question might be, why are we leading with quality of life? Because doesn't everybody say that? Isn't that noise? And I'll say for, to that end that we're sort of starting to flip, I think, at the chamber, that message on its head, quality of life is really the icing on the cake. I don't think anybody can top our quality of life, but it is noise when we're talking about it, trying to recruit companies and recruit folks because that's all they hear everywhere else. And so our lead, I think, is headquarters of Fortune One, 1,400 vendors for Fortune One, 400 of the Fortune 500 have a presence here. And oh yeah, there's a couple other Fortune 500s as neighbors. And then we can start the conversation of quality of life. If you're looking to do business, looking for somewhere to land, to plant a flag, to be close, especially to customers. You have no other place to go but in Ville, Arkansas. You may not be calling on the C-suite executives of those 400 out of the five, uh, Fortune 500, but the people you're calling on there 
are usually the most important parts of those organizations because in fact they're selling to and supporting what's often their number one customer and so uh, for all the reasons we've talked about you should be here but that one is one to really think about a great reminder it's not so much about quality of life but also just the accessibility of who is here and what you can be engaged in so absolutely you can you can live work and play here and have global access where else would you want to be i don't know i i honestly don't know james because i'm with you <laughs> well thank you so much for joining us on the show i mean this just has been such an insightful episode and i can't wait to share it with our listeners we're just so excited to have you as, as part of our community in bentonville so thank thanks. you great thanks jessica Many thanks to James for joining us on the show. For more information about the Greater Bentonville Area Chamber of Commerce and this episode, head to our website at EndeavorNWA.org. Until next week, stay warm and safe out there.